0: This program was produced by and first broadcast on Radio Kidnappers, a community access media station. Thanks to New Zealand On Air for making this type of programming possible.
1: The information provided or any opinions expressed in this show are of a general nature only and should not be construed or relied on as a recommendation to invest in a financial product or class of financial products. You should seek financial advice specific to your circumstances from a financial advisor before making any financial decisions. A disclosure statement can be obtained free of charge.
2: You're
0: listening to Radio Kidnappers, the voice of Hawke's Bay. This is a program called Canny View where we talk about finances. And today's our pleasure to have on the phone from the Stewart Group in Wellington, Brent Alcock. How are you going, Brent?
2: I'm going well, Ken. How are you going?
0: Well, where I am at the moment, the weather is brilliant. It's a fabulous Hawke's Bay day. The sun is shining, and I can't wait to get out. And what about in Wellington? Well,
2: I know you're going to find this a little bit strange, but it's a beautiful day down here. It is... Sun is shining, the flowers are out, the roses are blooming, and it just feels like uh, it just feels like a brilliant summer's day.
0: Yeah, summer is just around the corner. I can't wait for it. Now, before we get on to today's topics, Brent, just remind our listeners: the, the Stewart Group, what's it all about?
2: Uh, well, Stewart Group is a, a CFX certified financial advisory firm. We, we're serving clients throughout the whole of New Zealand. We've got offices in in Hawke's Bay and in Wellington, and, and we're here to provide. Independent based financial advice for clients and, and retail clients who, who want maybe a second opinion or maybe want to start that financial journey.
0: Indeed, and we're going to talk a bit about that today. But let's, uh, let's first of all, let's talk about inflation because inflation hasn't been this high for years. I think it's currently running at about 4.9%. Interest rates are going up on mortgages. Doesn't bode well, does it? Or can inflation be a good thing?
2: Look inflation is one of those difficult topics um, and you're quite right it has reared its ugly head. Now we're not too sure why it's reared its ugly head in this occasion but it's more than likely, everybody's talking about supply chain and supply side chain. I went to buy a pair of boots the other day, a pair of boots that should last me until I'm, I'm buried in them yeah. um, and I'm told that there's a supply side issue and these boots can't even hit the, the retail market until possibly March of next year. So the real difficult thing is, you know, avocados ninety nine cents, yeah. tomatoes fourteen ninety nine a kilo. <laughs> so so um, inflation has come back with with a, a real stick in its tail, running as you say, four point nine percent. Now the Reserve Bank has a mandate to keep inflation between certain boundaries, and they do that by implementing what's called monetary policy. There's a couple of things that they can do, but the the biggest tool in their armory is is interest rates and what's called the over the OCR the overnight cash rate. So um, the OCR. So um, Adrian Orr, the, the Reserve Governor, has raised that. I think it was yesterday another 25 basis points to 75 basis points, and he made comments actually this, to, this morning on uh, on Radio National saying that uh, individuals make their own choices about housing. He has a completely independent role, which is to control or help maintain monetary policy. So we've seen some nasty circumstances and situations in other parts of the world when uh, interest rates were quite benign and started to rise a situation called negative equity. So, look, I think that we're in for some very, very choppy waters, Ken. I think, I think that this COVID pandemic Um, is playing havoc uh, with a lot of people, uh, not just physically, um, but also mentally, with mental health, and I think also financially, and we'll, we'll see that over the coming 18 months. I really do believe that.
0: I saw a report on television this week which said that if you've got a $500,000 uh, mortgage and the the rate goes up as described, it's going to add another $2,000 to your repayments uh, over a year. I mean, for the average person, it doesn't sound too much, does it? $2,000, you could, we could probably cope with that.
2: Well, I think, I think it would be prudent, and we, we all do our sums in different ways, but I think it would be prudent for... Our listeners as 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 homeowners uh, to just do the sums and understand the sums and maybe the, the, the banking community or the independent mortgage brokers to go back to them and just stress test uh, where you're sitting with your debt, where you're sitting with your mortgage if you have a mortgage and stress test what's going to happen if interest rates uh, rise say three, four, five percent. Mm. I don't think they'll rise five percent but it's, look, we stress test our body, we warm our body up before we go and do any strenuous exercise, or we should, <laughs> and yeah. once you get to <laughs> my age, you've got to warm the body down, otherwise you do your MCL or some such sort of thing, um, and I think we should do that with our finances, Isn't just inf- understand where we are and, and make sure that we're in a position to cover that, Ken, in yeah. um, that eventuality.
0: Is inflation a bit like property and shares? Brent, I know that uh, over the years we talk about cycles and, you know, they'd say, well, for seven years you're going to get a, you know, it's going to go up and for the next seven years it's going to go down and uh, sometimes it's more good luck than good management. Is that the same with inflation? Does inflation follow a trend like that or not?
2: No, uh, inflation tends not to follow a trend because inflation, um, I, I'm hesitating to use a, a word. Inflation is, it, it's like a, it's like a dread disease um, in the sense that what inflation does is it is it impacts the value of what you can buy. So what inflation technically is, is today I can buy this bundle of goods with $100. How much could I go and buy that same bundle of goods next year for? Yep. And it might next year only be, you know, might cost me $110. So it's the change of the prices of stuff mm. and different different stuff is priced differently so for example as the baby boomer generation and, and generation Y get older we want to live longer so the medical fraternity will come out with new new medical advancements and they'll price it accordingly uh, so we can expect inflation in, in health costs uh, education costs everybody wants their child or their children to have a better education than they had so you will find that there's been an increase in the cost of of education, whereas other things like, you know, I think the first television we ever had was probably priced much more than the yeah. TV that I recently bought. So we've seen, you know, five thousand dollars smart TVs down now to a thousand dollars just before the Black Friday sales. Well, I shouldn't be saying that, should I? <laughs> um, so look, the other the other problem with inflation is everything else has to catch up. So. I can't buy as many tomatoes and apples as I could last year. I want an increase in my wages. So you have this sort of cost push inflation that pushes the price of wages or the cost of wages up and everything in turn then starts to just feed on itself. And there was an interesting situation a few years back where the, the... Governor of the, of the Federal Reserve Bank, Ben Bernanke, and he's written a paper on this. Um, Japan went through this deflationary scale where everything was going down and down and down in price. So in other words, you'd delay buying something today mm. because it would be less expensive next year. And his answer uh, was to um, what he termed as nuke the economy, just print money and print money and print money and there'll be so much money lying around that the asset prices will have to inflate um, in order to counteract the the printing of the money, and that's really what quantitative easing was. So it's taken a wee while, look, it's taken a wee while, Ken, to work through the system, but all that printing of money, all that what we've known as quantitative easing, it has a headache after it, which is that prices have to rise to counteract the other side of the equation. So we've known it's been coming. It can be a good thing and it can be a bad thing. It just depends how you handle it. And as you know, at Stewart Group, what we try to get people to do is be in control of those three fundamental things that they are in control of rather than letting the markets dictate to them.
0: What are those three things?
2: Well, the first is how much you spend and how much you save. Um, You can only do two things with money, spend it or save it, and generally, if you save it, it's because you're going to spend it later. Yes. Or it's for a goal like buying a house. So get a handle on your budget. Get an understanding of, look, you know, if you're buying a certain type of milk, is there another type that might be less expensive, butter or margarine, gluten-free bread, or do I go to normal, all these things. Have an understanding of the budget. Gee whiz, look, we're seeing such a push in electric cars. If you're in the market for a car, I had a friend who, who, who his total car bill for running on electricity was something like $8.20 for the whole year. Wow. So th- there are ways of thinking about this. That's the first, you get your budget in order, your house in order. Uh, the second is your time horizon in terms of, in terms of how long you're gonna work. If, if things do get really tough, and you sort of had wanted to retire at 60, can you push it out to 61 or 62? That time horizon is accepting for medical conditions. That's completely inside your control. Um, the, the third is is, is the value of, of, of your goals. So, you know, um, what's the difference between a, a, a million-dollar house and a half-a-million-dollar house? Yeah. Um can I downsize? Can I do something like that if necessary? Or, you know, can I have whanau or family come and board with me or even extended family? Just things that are within your control that give you, you know, some some positive energy and some positive mental health rather than being, you know, um, in fear of what markets are going to do. And markets will either go up or they will go down, as will inflation. Um, yeah.
0: Now you mentioned a so couple... Yeah. So carry on.
2: No, I was just going to say those three those three levers are the ones that you can have some sense of of, um, of certainty over. Ken.
0: now you mentioned a little bit earlier that uh, You know, we're all living a bit longer now because uh, medical science is sort of keeping some of us alive, uh, and I kind of mm. speak from experience there. Um, but there are some horror figures around, uh, Brent. That you know, people say, look, if you want to live a comfortable life when you retire, you really need four or five or six hundred thousand dollars in the bank. And I know I had a chat with uh, Nick Stewart uh, a couple of three weeks back and he reinforced the figures that we talked about in an article that he put out recently that probably 40% of the population uh, here and, in, new, uh, and in, the, in the UK that we know about could only put their hands on about a grand if uh, the proverbial hit the fan. So, you know, and, But on one hand we're saying, hey, you've got to save for your future and for your retirement, but you know, we're a very, very uh, poor nation in many respects, aren't we? So how do you get your head around that?
2: Well, there, there's there's a couple of figures, um, and here's how I, I like to think of it, and, and these tend to be, they're very general, Ken, but they're a good yardstick. If you want to retire at 55, you've got to work out, well, what, what's my budget? So if, if your budget was, say, I need uh, 25000 a year, you multiply that figure, if you're retiring at 55 by 17. Yeah. 17 times the figure that you need to live. If you retire at 60, it's 15. Yes. And if you retire at 65, it's 13. So they're a good broad brushstroke to know what what you're going to have to need in the eventuality that you retire. So I'll just get my little calculator out because my, my, my brain's having a little bit of a nap today. $25,000, let us say. Time. So I'm going to retire at 65, so I need about $325,000 yeah. in today's dollars. So you've got to also factor in that inflation figure. Um, and that's for a very, very, very modest lifestyle of $25,000. What's that? Absolutely.
1: 500
2: a week. Um, now, there's, a, there's a, a couple of other little you know side plays here as well. You've got that inflationary expectation. It, you've got to keep pace with that. Um, and by by that I mean that the the, the value of $325,000 today is not going to be the same as in 10 years' time, mm. so you've got to build that inflation through. And and the, the second thing, of course, is by the time you get to the age of 65, your life expectancy is, as a male is then 87. Yeah. So the life expectancy tables are based upon the date that you're born and then... If you attain certain ages, it means that statistically you're likely to... So I think you should be planning until 90.
0: Yeah, I um, think you're right.
2: Because I'd rather be working a year longer if I had to at 65 than trying to get a job at 90. (laughs) That's right.
0: Let's talk about KiwiSaver for a minute. Brent, how important is KiwiSaver to the average worker in New Zealand?
2: Oh, I think KiwiSaver is vital. You know... Governments all over the world have seen that they cannot continuously fund um, the population in their retirement. Um, It's evident in Singapore, it's evident in Australia, it's evident in the United States, it's evident in the United Kingdom. Probably the only country that can are the Scandinavian countries. And I know we moan here about taxes, but their their, their sort of average tax is 50 to 60%, and that's how... Um, They fund the the retirement in terms of hospitalisation as well as education. So what KiwiSaver is, I like to think of it as a vehicle, like a car. This is a tax-advantaged vehicle. You get to pay less tax, in other words, you get to keep more of your money um, until the car gets to that destination, which is... You know, financial freedom or retirement, or uh, the which is deemed here at the age of sixty-five. So, from sixty-five, you you've then accumulated this this pot of pot of money inside KiwiSaver that instead of it being taxed at your normal tax rate, which might be thirty percent, thirty-three percent, maybe maybe twenty-seven or so, it's being taxed at this very advantageous uh, tax rate much lower so you get more to accumulate mm. plus along the way the government's giving you an extra up to five hundred and forty one dollars so it's compounding on compounding and it's also i think it's a little bit of a safety net in case in case our national superannuation um, and national superannuation is, is tinkered with around the edges
0: now, there's three levels of uh, KiwiSaver, isn't it? So I guess if you're a, a younger person, maybe just coming into the workforce, that you might take on the um, the KiwiSaver, which gives you the highest return, whereas if you're an old fellow like me, you might be a little bit more conservative and you wouldn't want to do that. So what would your recommendation be to uh, someone who comes along and says, hey, Brent, give me some advice on KiwiSaver. Where should I be with it?
2: Well, that's a great question, Ken. I, I, I think there's a couple of things around that. And we touched on one earlier. What you've just said is is, is intuitive. If, I, if I'm younger, I've got longer to live, mm-hmm. so um, I'd probably take more risk. But if I'm a little bit more advanced in age, you know, 55 to 65, I might take less risk. But we spoke before, Ken, when you retire, you don't retire from life. No, indeed. And if you imagine you had your money sitting in cash at 65 and it was still sitting in cash at 85 you just imagine what's happened what's happened with money investments and everything in the past 20 years it yes. would have been quite quite a different outcome if everything if everybody had gone to cash in the year 2000 just before the, the September 11 and that was a long time ago at the time that lady diana passed away you know in yep. terms of time frame so i think that you have to allocate your resources your assets firstly according to your what I call the, the, the pillow, uh, the pillow test. Can you sleep well at night? You don't want to be taking on more risk that keeps you up at night not being able to sleep or keeps you worried. So that's the first thing. your risk appetite. Secondly, I think you, we all need to educate ourselves and think rationally. Hey, yeah, at 65, I'm still likely to be alive in another 20 to 25 years, so mm. my money has to last. Therefore, I still have to allocate a certain portion of it for growth. And I think it's a combination of those two things. And if you need advice, working with a professional advisor who can hold your hand and guide you through that journey.
0: You've been around our finances for a long time and uh, you've been involved with KiwiSaver on behalf of your clients for many years. When you look at KiwiSaver, Brent, if you could change one thing about it, what would it be? Uh,
2: was that if I could Change one thing. Yeah. That it, Ken?
0: yeah, if it could be better for everyone involved, is, is there some somewhere, somewhere that you think, well, if KiwiSaver only did this, it will be better for everyone? Or, or is it a pretty good model?
2: Look, it's a pretty good model, and it's a pretty good model for, for quite an ironic reason. Uh, and that reason is that uh, no government in New Zealand, uh, after the, we, we tried the egalitarian test of national superannuation, that everybody, from the wealthiest person uh, through to the poorest, gets the same. So everybody was treated equal. Australia introduced their superannuation in 1990. Uh, the United States has had their 401Ks for a wee while. You've had pension schemes in the UK for over 100 years. Um, and then New Zealand thought, oh, this might be a good idea. And uh, we went round and we looked at everybody else's model. That was the advantage of coming to the table late. They'd looked at everybody else's model and they decided that this was the, the preferred model and the, the best model at, at the time for New Zealand. Look... I think it's a good scheme. Um, I like also uh, the best of the, the Singaporean scheme where you can use the, the funds of your KiwiSaver in totality or the equivalency of Kiwi KiwiSaver called CPF, um for, for your mortgage, for your, to not only to buy your home but also to continuously pay your mortgage. Um, however, they do have to put 30% of their income into their retirement scheme. Yeah. So... Um, that's mandated, so you imagine we only have to put them three percent.
0: Yes, indeed. Uh,
2: you could imagine thirty yeah. percent. So <clears throat> there's swings and roundabouts. There's positives and negatives towards all of that, and I think that what we've got now is is pretty pretty much best of breed. I, you know, if I could change one thing, I'd probably I'd probably look to incorporate essential ins- insurances like life insurance or income protection or trauma inside that model to make it more tax efficient um, and to make it readily accessible to all uh, New Zealanders. Um, that would be one thing that I'd like to have considered. Uh, the other would be, look, we Ken, we've seen 180,000 Kiwis, including myself, return to New Zealand in the past 18 months. I'd like to see transportability of accumulated retirement wealth in other countries to come into KiwiSaver on a tax advantage basis. What does that mean? If I've got my money in Australian super, KiwiSaver allows me to bring it in. But if I've got my money accumulated in in an American US 401k, which is their equivalent, it's not so easy to get it transferred in a Kiwi saver. So I think there's some work the government could do there with other governments for uh, those that are coming back to the country, transferring their their accumulated wealth into the country. And we we really love to see that repatriated wealth in our country and not sitting somewhere else for the benefit of somebody else. Just
0: just about out of time, Brent. Uh, Just a quick word on, I also heard uh, in the news that um, they're looking at putting uh, interest uh, on term deposits up, is that something that's going to be make term deposits more attractive to people in the main? Do you think, or is it just not enough?
2: Well, term deposits, uh, think of them as the, the sort of the inverse of a mortgage in, in a way. A term deposit um, will also reflect the overnight cash rate, the OCR. So. <clears throat> Excuse me, as interest rates have gone up, or as the, the Reserve Bank has put interest rates up, term deposit interest rates will also go up. The thing about a term deposit vis a or in comparison to the other asset classes, is that it will always return, the, well, it will return the second lowest after cash at bank. It will make it more attractive, but it's also a reflection of the inflation that's within the economy. that banks need to attract money into their coffers so that they can lend it out for property, and the way that they attract that money is by having term deposits. So the term deposit interest rate increasing may be attractive um, for retirees or some mm. older people who are a little bit risk averse, but on the flip side, Ken, it's a lot of that increase in interest is going to be eaten away by the inflation. Yes, indeed. So, you know, you get 2.5% on one hand, but inflation's 4.9%. Yeah, so, that's right. All
0: right, Brent, look, it's been a pleasure to talk with you as always. You look after yourself and we'll talk to the same time, same place next time.
1: The information provided, or any opinions expressed in this show, are of a general nature only, and should not be construed or relied on as a recommendation to invest in a financial product or class of financial products. You should seek financial advice specific to your circumstances from a financial advisor before making any financial decisions. A disclosure statement can be obtained free of charge.